I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but God is moving. God is moving in this world. God is doing amazing things in this world. God is doing mighty things today. God is doing mighty, I mean, answering prayers in amazing, mighty ways. God is doing miraculous things. I don't think any of you get that. You're like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, God is on the move, and here's the thing. I want to tell you, God is moving. We don't open up the Bible and talk about what God just has done. Of course, we talk about what Jesus has done, but we also celebrate what he is doing. God is moving in this world all around us every day. Do you know why I remind you of that? Because we could miss it. In the midst of God moving in our life, doing mighty, amazing, miraculous things, we can miss it. God's movement is unmistakable. When you have the right posture, when you watch God move, it's unmistakable that that was God moving. And although it's unmistakable, it is missable. And that's kind of what I want us to glean out of this passage of how easy it is for us to miss God in our lives. Although it's unmistakable, it is missable. And the crazy thing about it is particularly, I mean, yet again, Jesus is going to lock horns with religious people. And you'd think that religion should be like binoculars that would just help us see God everywhere. I mean, they should be binoculars, help us to see Jesus. But instead of binoculars, religion, particularly abuse of religion, is a barrier that keeps us from seeing God. That's why oftentimes we'll say here, we're not about religion, we're about relationship. Because religion is one of the things, when we abuse it, causes us to miss God. God is moving. And I don't want you to miss it. I think this passage just gives us some things to help us not miss God. So we're going to dive in. We're in the Gospel of Luke. We're at chapter 13. I'm going to pick it up in verse 10 and read. Please follow along as I read from the screens. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. He laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. I mean, this beautiful scene. Interestingly enough, you know, Jesus kicked off his ministry in the synagogue. This is the final picture that Luke gives us of Jesus in the synagogue. And for us, you know, I mean, we're unfamiliar with that. To think of the synagogue, just think of kind of Old Testament church. Kind of that's how they met, you know, in the New Testament after Jesus, we meet in the church. In a lot of ways, the church is kind of modeled largely after the synagogue life. And so when you hear that, just think, I mean, this is kind of like Old Testament church. There were some differences, but this is basically a church service. And remember what's happening. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. So this would have been Jesus, and you'll see that at churches, right? They'll have a guest preacher for the day. Jesus is kind of like the guest preacher at this church as he's on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's teaching, he sees this woman bent over 
with this disabling spirit. And it's very strong language when it talks about this woman was doubled over, bent over. She was never able for 18 years to stand up straight. And I say that to make it clear. I mean, this is like a praise Jesus miracle. This isn't like some of the stuff you've seen on TV. You know, there's times like I've actually been to healing services. You ever see some of that stuff and you get kind of skeptical, like, was that really a miracle? Like, I've been to some places like, all right, whose elbow is stiff? And they're like, okay, yeah, mine's a little stiff. And everybody prays over it, and you know, all right, is it less stiff? And you're like, wow, it is a little less stiff. You know, praise Jesus. And you're like, ah! Like, that may have been more of a placebo effect than a praise Jesus miracle, you know? If you don't know what placebo effect is, Google it after the service. I don't have time to get into it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you ever been skeptical? Like, this is not, this leaves no room for skepticism. Like, it doesn't tell us if it was, you know, bone, muscular, whatever, but this woman hadn't stood up straight for 18 years. Imagine how she felt. Now, some of you, some of you deal, not we all deal with pain, but some of you have dealt with chronic pain. I want you to imagine what this woman felt in that moment. She never stood up straight for 18 years. And here she is to hear this traveling preacher in the back of the service, and he calls her up front. At that moment, I'm sure she had to be nervous. You know, I mean, she's here to learn. I mean, she was already, I'm sure, outcasted. And he brings her up front, and he, with just the tenderest of touches, heals her. I mean, imagine being in that church service with this woman for the first time, like, stands up straight. I'm sure she's like, what the? And she just starts praising, like, woo-hoo-hoo, glory. I mean, like, what do you do? She's like, bring out the band. I need a special song. Like, come on, one more time. Like, the only thing that you can do when you see a miracle is just praise. That's the only appropriate response. When you're in the midst of a praise Jesus miracle, just, whoo, just bring out the band. I need one more song, like, That's the only appropriate response. But sadly, the story doesn't end there. So Jesus heals her. She just starts praising. She's excited. And then the story continues on. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Like, if you see a praise Jesus miracle, it should just roll into praise. Like, you shouldn't even have to cue the band. The band should just know, like, hey, that was a miracle. We're going to play another song. Like, if but is the next word after a miracle, something is wrong. Like, it should just, just flow into praise. Something is wrong when you see a miracle and your heart is indignant and angry. If you see a miracle and you're angry about it, like, check your heart, bro. Something's not right. And here's these guys angry that Jesus did a miracle at one of their services. Crazy. I find this interesting as well. So the ruler of the synagogue is mad at who? He's mad there's a healing. Who did the healing? Jesus. So he's mad at Jesus, and then who does he rebuke? The people. So mad at Jesus, and then he turns around and rebukes the people. Hey, you know, don't come here and interrupt our services. Come back on another day. 
So you ever just kind of like angry and frustrated at God, but don't have the courage to address God, and so you're just kind of angry and bitter with everybody else? Yeah, me neither. Yeah, right? <laughs> so yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And so he starts to rebuke the crowd because he's annoyed at Jesus, and then Jesus just rebukes him in the midst of him addressing the crowd, you hypocrites. So the ESV translates that Greek word hypocrite. The MSV actually translates it, you punks. The MSV is my standard version. That's coming out in the fall. You can look for it. I almost debated translating it sucker or wankster, but I went with punk. I don't really have a version. It's not coming out. But you, I don't know why. I always, picture, I always project too much sass onto Jesus. So just filter that out. So I don't necessarily think Jesus was being sassy, but he is bold at this moment. So remember, Jesus is the guest preacher. And this is the preacher who lives here, and he rebukes him for being a hypocrite. And then he goes on to define their hypocrisy. Follow along. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. I love that the glorious things is plural. Like, what were the two glorious things that he did? He healed the lady and then stuck it to the legalistic preacher. You know, and they're all praising, like, get him, Jesus, yeah, get him. So they're all praising because of the healing and then kind of sticking it to the legalistic preacher. But I love the picture here. You know, what did it, how did it describe what Jesus did for this woman? It said he freed her. It says he liberated her. It's this picture that she was in bondage. She was chained up in Jesus. I mean, this bondage that was wrapped around her neck, it's like it said he just untied it and freed her from this burden. And there's kind of a play on words with that. Because he's like, any of you, selfishly, when it comes down to your donkey, to your ox, you'll untie a donkey to get water, but yet you won't let me untie this woman who is bound up by Satan. You hypocrites. Jesus does this amazing miracle in their midst, and it's like they miss it. They don't even see what just happened. These are small towns. He would have known this woman, known this woman who was paralyzed for two decades, healed right in front of him, and he just misses it because he's too angry and bitter, and he has his own agenda. They miss the whole thing. So you look at these two encounters, these two people, it's like you can almost compare them. I mean, the scripture's almost comparing this woman with this ruler of the synagogue. This woman gets healed, and then she just starts praising. The ruler of the synagogue watches this healing, and he is indignant and in shame. Like, which one do you want to be? Because I warn you, we all have a little bit of Pharisee, a little bit of religion in us. And I'm sure some of you are sitting here today and there's a certain amount of bitterness that you're sitting on and you're missing Jesus in your life. So I want to look at, man, what did these Pharisees do to cause them to miss Jesus? And how can we learn from this woman? Because again, God is moving in your life. You might just be missing it. I think they misunderstood what Jesus was all about, what religion was for. They misunderstood the when and the how. And I want to just unpack those together. 
They misunderstood what Jesus was doing, like what religion was for. And again, that's the whole, you hypocrites. The whole point is to come together and celebrate a God who frees people, and I free somebody, and you're mad, and you want to keep that person away. They missed the whole agenda of what God was about because they had their own selfish agenda, and they couldn't see what God was about, what Jesus was doing. I heard a great illustration from a pastor about kind of what the Pharisees did with religion. Like, here's what religion was meant to be. Not even religion. I hate using that word. Like, kind of God's rules. It's just like a fence in your backyard. Like, as a parent, why do you want to have a fence? It's not so your kids can't have any fun and you want to kind of, you know, just control them. No. Like, you want to be able to maximize your kids' fun, but it's there to protect them and to send them out so you could do projects. I get that, but that's not what the Scripture's about, but... That's why we have it. But you get the point, right? Like, it was meant to be a place to include people, to celebrate life, but it was just kind of a hedge of protection. And your kids get mad at you, you know, why can't I go out of that fence? It's like, it's to protect you. You just don't understand that because you have a tiny child brain. But we're doing the same thing to God. Oh, why can't I just sleep with whoever I want? Oh, that's so, you know, restrictive. No, it's there to protect you. When you go outside of that boundary, it hurts you and other people. I asked Gary to get this picture like, man, give a beautiful yard with a fence and like a cliff right on the other side or like a freeway or like flesh-eating robots like right outside that fence. And he was like, that picture doesn't exist. He was right, it doesn't. So that's kind of all God's rules were meant to be. Like, hey, here's a nice thing to protect you so that you can have the maximum enjoyment of your life. Here's what they turned it into. And some of you are like, that's my church. I felt more like an inmate than like a family picnic. Like the gathering of God should be more like a family picnic where all of us, particularly broken people, messy people, could come and enjoy the time together. And the religious people, who Jesus calls hypocrites, used it now to exclude messy people where messy, broken people don't feel welcome. And then now they have, you know, they can control the people inside and guess what? Ultimately control God. That's why he's mad at their hypocrisy. They totally missed the point of what church was supposed to be. It's always supposed to be for broken people to come, for messy, crooked people. Remember how it described her, bent over. It was literally the idea that her life was crooked and Jesus is going to help kind of straighten her life out. But yet, I think churches can still be in danger of this, where messy people, people that their lives are crooked and jacked up and they're hurting, they feel excluded from church. And Jesus says, that's the opposite of what I'm doing. So they totally missed God's agenda for hurting people to experience healing. They missed what Jesus was always about. This is when Jesus first went in the synagogue. This is Jesus' what? This is his agenda. This is when he announced his ministry. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says, this is what I'm about. Hurting people in captive, oppressed people experiencing freedom 
this is exactly what happens, and they try to rebuke Jesus for letting it happen in his service. Like, you guys have totally missed the point. What did they turn it into? What was the point for these rulers when we abuse religion? Essentially, again, it was like a prison. It was their way. Religion became a way to control people and then ultimately control God for what? For their selfish gain. What was the rebuke? Oh, when this woman needs help, you rebuke. But any of you will untie your own donkey. If it comes down to your selfish gain, you use your religion for that. Even later, and it says, when it comes down to your son, if your son fell in a well, all of you would work. So for them, religion became a way to get their selfish agenda, God to do it for them. Now, he didn't just go to the, the ruler and say, you hypocrite. He said, you hypocrites, plural. So I think it doesn't just apply to him. I think it applies to us more than we like to admit because it's easy enough to go, how dare they? How could they do that? Really, you don't ever watch God move in somebody else's life and get jealous and indignant? You don't ever use God to try to get what you want and you don't always go to God for your own selfish gain? I think we abuse religion in a lot of the same ways and we miss God because we think God is here to serve us as opposed to us to serve God and to serve those that are hurting. And I think this is kind of how many of us approach church and approach religion. It's like getting our little religious credits from God. You know, I go to church, and we might as well just hand out chips at the door. You know, you go to church, you try to be a good person, you go to Bible study. And why do we do this? Why, what is our what? Well, I do all these religious things. Why? When I need something from God, I just cash in the chips. Okay, God, you know, here, I need a job. I need a healing. I'm hurting. And here's how I, I know you abuse religion that way. Because when do, God doesn't give you what you want, we rail against him. Don't I go to church? Don't I have credit with you? Didn't I do all these nice religious things? And we try to cash them in for our own selfish gain. We misunderstand the point. We don't gather here so you can get enough church credits so you can get God to do what you want. Tell me that isn't true in your life. That we come here and God is moving, but I don't see him. Why? Because he's not doing the thing that I want him to do. He's not meeting my selfish needs. And I think we get blinded by that. Again, that's where he railed on them for her, their hypocrisy. I'm so consumed. God, why aren't you healing my disease? You know, why aren't you giving me a job? How come I don't have a spouse? How come we're not pregnant and Jesus is moving in my life, but he's not doing what I want? What Jesus' agenda is, is helping and hurting oppressed people. What is our misunderstanding? That God is just here to give me what I want and give me my comforts, and I go get all my religious chips so I can cash those in so God gives me what I want. I think you could be so consumed with God doing the thing that you want him to do for your life, you're missing what he's actually doing. I think oftentimes as well, not just the what, the what's easy, it's God, give me the thing that I want. Make my life comfortable. Well, God has a different purpose, and God also has a different timeline. I think, secondly, we misunderstand the when. When. 
I think this is interesting in this passage, because there's the when on the Sabbath day, you know, don't heal on the Sabbath, come on a Tuesday. But you know what I noticed that was interesting? How did it describe her healing? When Jesus touched her, how was she healed? Do you remember? It said immediately. She was immediately healed. She was immediately healed after 18 years. That was kind of wild to me. If you think about it, talking about immediate, but yet, if I were to ask her in year 17, how would you describe God's healing in your life? I don't think she'd describe it as immediate. This woman, she struggled with this disorder for 18 years. Are you open to the fact that maybe God has a little bit of a different timeline that factors in eternity than your timeline? Because let's be honest, what is the what for you? It's God giving me, you know, the things I want for my selfish gain. What's the timeline? Now. I want it, God, and I want it now. Preferably yesterday, all except now. Right? Don't we do that to God? How many times do you complain and say, I just heard from my brother, heard about my brother. My brother's homeless. And I just talked to my mom who bumped into him in downtown. And he told her how in the winters he sleeps on the grates to keep warm. And you're telling me there aren't times in your life where I've railed against God like, God, what are you doing? How can you allow this to go that long? Like, what are you waiting for? Because we do that to God because we expect God's timeline to be now. Give me what I want. Give it to me now. This woman was healed immediately after 18 years. Sometimes the movement of God in our lives can feel painstakingly immediate, if you get what I'm saying. I mean, it is painfully immediate. It's unmistakable, God's movement, but it might not be on, on our timeline. The way God sees time, it's the way J.J. Abrams sees time. It's not like linear. It's back and forth. And most of you don't get that reference, but like the Lost fans are like, that's the great analogy. If you ever watch like a J.J. Abrams film, like time is all, you know, you, like, you can't figure out the when. That's kind of how it is with God. Kind of the when is secondary. So if you can let go of God, I need you to do this thing for me, and I need you to do it now, that's a huge way where we miss God. God, Jesus could be standing right in front of us, but all I see is, God, give me this thing that I want. Give me this job. Heal me of this disease and do it now. And we're just blinded by our own selfish agenda. And we're on our own timeline. We miss God. And not only the when, the last thing that I think where we can misunderstand the movement of God and miss Jesus is the how. Now, again, the the ruler of the synagogue didn't deny the healing. He just wanted to control how it happened. You know, hey, don't come back on this day. I want you to, you know, here's how I want God to heal. And he tried to control not only what was done, his own selfishness, but also how it got done. I know I'm not alone. Don't tell me you've never done that to God. Not just like, hey, God, here's my issue. You answer it however you want. Like, I have written out elaborate plans for God. Like, God, I got an issue with my siding. 
And then I saw a scratch-off ticket for the amount I need. So I'm going to buy that scratch-off ticket. God, I'm going to need you to let me hit on that scratch-off ticket. And then, I'm gonna, and then I'm like, all right, so God, but I need you to rubber stamp it or it doesn't happen. Am I the only one that's dictated to God? All right, God, this is the job I need. And if I get this job, then I'll have this money, and then I'll use it to serve you. And then I'll have this platform, and then I'm going to praise you if you just get me this job on this month. Because I need it by then because my mortgage is up. So I'm going to, and then we lay out like this massive plan, like, all right, God, here's the plan. It's a good one. I don't want to brag, but I'm going to need you to stamp it. Am I the only one? How many times in your life did God just unmistakably, unmistakable answer a prayer, but you missed it because you weren't down with how he was doing it? You know, I'm so stressed out, God. I just need a raise or I need, you know, to get this next job. And then you get fired. And you're like, God, where are you? I don't see God anywhere. God's not doing anything. And you getting fired just might be the exact answer to prayer that you need. But we are so close-fisted with God. I need you to bless this company because then I'm going to do this and then you're going to use me this way. God's agenda is not to serve you. The what is for us to serve God. Maybe you getting healed isn't the miracle you need. Maybe just getting sick is actually what God is doing to move in your life. And it may be on a different timeline but are you okay if God answers your prayer how he wants as opposed to you telling him exactly how he needs to do that? I think all these things we get blinded to and we miss God. God is moving all around you. But you're so focused on God, do this one thing for me and I need it now and I need you to do it this way that you miss Jesus everywhere in your life. And that's what the Pharisees did. That's what this religious ruler did of trying to control God, and he missed him. Listen to me. I don't want you to miss God moving in your life. God is moving, I promise you. But we got to have the right posture, and I want to learn from this sweet sister of ours. What did she do to make sure she saw Jesus and didn't miss him? She got on board with his what? I want to encourage you to be faithful until he decides when, and I want you to let him choose how to answer. Let me unpack how we kind of saw this in this woman's life. Get on board with God's agenda. Again, we just read it from Luke 4. What's God's agenda? Hurting people experiencing freedom. So if you could get kind of all your selfish prayers, if you could put them on the back burner... And then just get about kind of ministering to hurting people. I bet you, you start to see God moving in your life. Why did she get healed? This was fascinating to me. What did she do? Nothing. Did you notice that? That Jesus just teaching saw her and had compassion on her. She doesn't ask to get healed. So many of us can't see Jesus because that's all we're doing is asking him to give us the things that we want. This is a challenge I want some of you to take up this week. I want you to follow this woman's example and that thing that is so important to you, what if you just didn't pray about it for like a couple days? God isn't gonna forget about your need. God cares about your need. But what if you like this woman 
just got about worshiping God, serving him, and just didn't pray about that thing that you so desperately want. It's not bad to pray. You can pray about it again. But the problem is you get blinded by it because you're not worshiping God. You're just worshiping that thing you want from him. So just for the next couple of days, that thing is so important to you. Just say, God, you know this is so important to me, but I'm going to give it over to you, and I'm going to stop worrying about all the prayers about me for a little bit. And God, I'm going to get about what you're about and start reaching out to hurting people. You know one of the huge ways why we miss God, it's not that he's not moving, he's just not moving the way I want him to in my life. (laughs) Who all praised God in the story? Do you remember? The healing woman. And you can go, well, yeah, it's easy to praise God when he does a miracle in your life and when he does something and moves. But she wasn't the only one that praised. If you remember, it said they all rejoiced and praised God. You're saying, I can't see God move, but you're just saying, God isn't giving me what I want. What if you just got about helping other people and celebrated what he's doing in other people's lives? I'm going to give you easy homework to achieve this. I just told Austin to post it. Go to our Facebook page, and I put a link to 26 baptisms that we just celebrated here. Don't you tell me that God isn't moving. It's just he's not moving in the way you want him to. If you step back, celebrate what God is doing in other people's lives. To stop being so consumed with our selfish needs and celebrate what he's doing in our body. If you feel like you're not seeing God move, then you need to go watch. Go re-watch all 26 of those stories, and you'll begin to celebrate and remind he is moving. I want you to be faithful until he decides when. I don't know if you're in year 17, if you're in year 7, or if you're in that 18th year and God is about to break through. Here's what I found fascinating. You know, we're encouraged by this woman because she praised God after the miracle. Do you know what I find more impressive? She was in church before the miracle. How did she get there? How did she get to church? She got there like this. For 17 years, going on 18 years. And God doesn't give me what I want now, and so I'm mad at him because I can't cash my chips in. And God is saying, look, look at this example of being faithful. The most amazing thing, that she was just there listening and worshiping. Not that she praised after the miracle, that she was faithfully serving before. You say, I'm not hearing from God. He's spoken his word. When's the last time you read it? But yet, not like this woman, just faithfully, even in the midst of your pain, just walking your journey, still listening, still learning, going to church, getting in the word. You can't get mad at God that you're not hearing from him if you're not listening. So this beautiful sister, just faithfully worshiping, listening, learning, not even asking God and demanding that God give you the thing that you want, just there serving him, and then you got to surrender. If you're telling God what he needs to do, of course you're going to end up indignant, embittered, and in shame. He's God, you're not. Can you get to this place in your life where you say, okay, God, you decide. 
You decide how, I just want to see you move. I want to be a part of your movement. And I'm letting go and no longer saying, you give me this, you do this for me. And all right, God, you decide. I think the biggest difference between these two, the ruler was presented this proud, powerful, religious man. You want to miss God? Get some pride in your life. You go to church, that you're a good person, and that you do all these things. You want to miss God? Just go ahead and sit in your own pride like these men. Feel like God owes you something. And you'll miss God and end up indignant just like these people. You want to see God? You want to end up praising him? Just be desperate and humble. I mean, this woman, faithful and still serving, listening, worshiping, and just surrendering because you need God. And you're going to allow him to move how he sees fit. I love this picture that they were untied. You are in bondage. You don't have the pride to break whatever is oppressing you. What you need is Jesus to untie you. That's what you need in your life. Are you willing to let him do it? To let him do it when he wants and how he wants God has moved. God has moved mountains. And I believe he will do it again. That's a foreshadow of the closing song. All right, let's pray. Father, I do believe that. I do believe that you will move again. I do believe that you are moving. But God, please help us. God, because we can miss it. All of us, God, we are so selfish. That's a part of our sin. And God, we are so blinded on what, you, what we want you to do for us. God, would you free all of us from that bondage of self-centeredness and get us to the place where we surrender and say, okay, God. Whenever you want to do it, how you want to do it, I surrender because I need you and you are God, I am not. God, put us in that place where we are open eyes, focused on you and your agenda, watching you move. In Jesus' name, amen.